0: This is Claudia Gray, and you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them.
1: Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Brandon. I am here with my co-host. She is as fly as Kenobi's mullet, accented with Anakin's Padawan braid. It's Lindsay.
0: Wow. Do I deserve that? I, I think not, but I you know mean, what? thank you.
1: You will. You have a high bar to live up to. The mullet is one thing, <laughs> but now that we know Hayden Christensen liked the Padawan braid, that's a whole nother also level. Also
0: though, we're going to have to talk about the Padawan braid, and is it creepy to give your loved one a lock of your hair?
1: <laughs> we will get there. We will get there, we because get today, there. guys, we are talking about one of the books that I would argue is one of the best entries uh, into canon as of late. Uh, And that, of course, is Brotherhood. But we will get to that in just a little bit. Um, I did want to uh, provide some updates just about some stuff that we had talked about on previous shows. So went to San Antonio this weekend, if you were following on Twitter, and uh, got the books for the Uvalde students uh, into my dad's vehicle to get to them. Um, And we are... He's he's making sure, not that it matters for, for you and me and, and the brand or anything like that, but he's making sure it's known that Clashing Sabres was a part, was the one that is, is getting this uh, books to them. He was very adamant that it's a partnership. So I You're I was really grateful best. for that. As a thank you to to all the people who have supported us and donated uh, and and shared our content and stuff to allow us to be able to be the conduit for that. But we were able to get over 700 books. Uh, It was a lot. It was a lot of books. Uh, For perspective, it took up the entire back of a Ford Bronco. And uh, so lots of kids are going to be getting a lot of books, which is, is very, very exciting there. So a thank you to everybody who, whether you're on our Patreon, whether you have donated to our fundraisers, whether you have just retweeted something, anything to, to, to help spread the word for what we were doing. I know it's going to make a big impact on those families and that community there. So that was really exciting. Um, and then I finished, uh, uh Jedi and Sith, the stories of Jedi and Sith that we talked about on, on the last show. I,
0: I know I've been dying to hear about it. Give me the, give me the recap. Give me the 411.
1: Okay. So before we, we do, I want to, uh, just, Remind people that this is a a book where, um, what what I initially said was that it's like half stories of Jedi, half stories of Sith, and I had gotten through the Jedi stories and I was on the Sith slash Dark Side stories. Turns out I was wrong because it does it's not evenly broken into. In oh. You get like the three or four, um, light side stories, and then you get Asajj Mal Vader as three dark side stories but then you get Luke Palpatine and Ray which is really really Ooh. interesting yeah. yeah so I I really uh enjoyed the format um, of course we left off with the cliffhanger that I know you want to know about which is Delilah S. Dawson mm-hmm. uh, writing Asage and um, this was a cool one because And I am, if if, this is a a younger reader, like, uh, elementary school short story kind of thing. Um, So spoilers are spoilers. Um, But this one is about Nasaj having to work with a clone named Doc, who his talent is basically an intuition for for what's wrong with someone medically kind of thing. Um, And so... This is towards the beginning of the war, so she's still very adamantly on the dark side, and and you have that. Um, But for those of you, those of us who know the greater canon, um, we we get to see the start of the cracks in her armor and the things that will eventually get through to her uh, that will bring her back, we'll redeem her in Dark Disciple. So that yeah. was really fun to see. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Maul one was possibly, probably my favorite. Uh, this, it was a short story, but it hit like a full novel because you have Maul going to a Sith temple. And this is spider or post Spider Legs Maul. So, Uh, he's been through everything Uh, he's been through the war and he goes to this Sith temple looking for I don't remember specifically because I have been reading quite a few things since then if it was a holocron or just some tome of knowledge Um, but in this uh, uh, not Jedi temple, Sith temple he has fights with ghosts of Savage Grievous and Qui-Gon
0: wow yes wow how many pages was this if if you know (gasps) uh
1: i would say because of the large print 30 okay so it's it's he goes he fights savage and of course they talk a lot about you know you gave up on me you abandoned me my death is your fault uh, he fights with Grievous, and that's a lot of, you were never good enough, you were just a tool. And then with Qui-Gon, it's, you don't have to keep doing this, you can change your ways. And Qu- with Qui-Gon, it's not so much a fight. If I remember correctly, Maul does try to fight him, but Qui-Gon doesn't fight.
0: Okay, so, love that, for so many reasons. So I mean, right? it sounds like overall, though, this this is... A book where maybe if not for every single story, but at least some stories, it's like, hey, look, stop what you're doing. Go.
1: Yes. Go check this out. Okay. Yes.
0: Love and, that.
1: And of course, you know, this is Maul. He's Sisyphus. He doesn't get what he wants. Um, so that's not surprising in in that regard. But what was surprising was the, the next one was the Vader one. And the Vader one continues on with something that I talked about on on Clashing Sabers on the main show with the obi-wan series which is making vader legitimately terrifying yes and w- i mean he just tears through the rebels here um and i thought it was really cool that there was a white furred wookiee who is part of the rebellion mm-hmm. and she I, I believe it is she uh, is uh basically the target of of his anger um, he, she's the one who is trying to, uh, bring down a, a dam or a wall of some sort that's protecting, uh, whatever the empire is creating on that planet. And what I thought was really interesting was you have this, this w- white furred wookie, very distinct looking character that to my knowledge, we don't have in Canon yet. And Vader doesn't win. He doesn't kill her. But he promises to continue hunting her.
0: Interesting, right? Like Why do you think that is?
1: I I don't know. It could have been purely just an artistic choice of this is a kids book and we don't want, you know, Vader murdering people. That's the most likely answer. My hope is that this is a, a hint of something that we might be getting in the future
0: i would uh, yeah and not even so much for for the story aspect which sounds great don't get me wrong but even for the the vader character development that could potentially come from it
1: yeah yeah it could be it could be really really cool uh and then we get to the luke story and uh for those of you who are are into the the Luke is uh, Luke being gay is canon uh, aspect of things. There's definitely some vibes here, definitely okay. some vibes. Um, okay. He is basically gets he has a handler uh, on Hoth named Rye, uh who is basically he he views himself as a handler for this young kid who doesn't know what he's doing, but is important to the Rebellion, so I've got to show him around. Like, Rae doesn't really like Luke, and Luke knows that Rae doesn't really like Luke, but there's also this thing where you're like, but do do they really not like each other, or do they just like each other and don't want...
0: (laughs) Now, kiss. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. So they get stuck in some dark tunnel in Hoth and have to escape there. Um, The interest... Well, there are a lot of interesting things in there um but rye is from can you guess
0: nabu nabu
1: and his name is rye because it became a tradition in or a custom uh in N- nabu culture to have yeah. the a sound on the end in honor of Padme after the loss oh. of her. And so it, he doesn't name her directly, I don't think, but he does say, like, because of a, a queen of Nebu, and when your, your eyes just... Like, I was, I was like, ex- shocked, not in a, in a bad way or anything like that, but I was shocked with the the uh, Lucas Gay vibes that I was getting in this story, just because I never thought they would actually, like follow through with that um yeah. and it, it's it's, okay. it's it's debatable here but the vibes are definitely clear i mean it like,
0: sounds like it's it's done well
1: it is it's, it's done, done, done very done
0: in, very like, well, fan servicey way or or anything like that
1: no and that so that shocked me uh in a in a great way but man my eyes bugged wide open when he started saying uh <laughs> where he is from and where he got his name from yeah so, so that was really cool um and then the palpatine story it's kind of Palpatine reflecting, which is interesting um, about he it's him reflecting about his battles with Yoda at the same time that Yoda is dying because he senses Yoda dying in the force. And he's kind of wow. reflecting okay. on how Yoda was never going to be good enough. The dark side is always greater. Everything like that,
0: which I guess is a really too interesting concept. Cause like it's one of those things where, where it's like, yeah, we probably should have been talking about this and theorizing about this forever, and we just never have. And I don't mean we as in you and me; I mean the collective we as Star Wars fans.
1: Yeah, yeah, it. it and it's interesting. Like, I mean, most of the story, at least like physically, takes place with him sitting in a chair, but it's a very internal monologue kind of thing. And then there's the race story at the end, uh, which is is pretty good. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I didn't love it as much as I loved the other stories. Um, But I also think every other story dealt with a character that we've had for a much longer time. And so it had more to play with. Because just about every story brought in aspects that we already knew or that were relatable to content that we've gotten recently. And the Ray one just wasn't. It was a good story. I enjoyed it. You being a huge Ray fan, I, I don't want to tell you anymore. I definitely think you should pick it up. I don't want to Appreciate undersell it. it. Yeah. Um, but for me personally, when you pull in characters like Luke and Asajj and Maul Invader and you make those connections to things that we already know is, are going to happen later in the timeline or have been happening before and what will come after, a short story like this works better for me. And we don't have that with Ray yet. So my point there is we need more Ray content.
0: Yes, because it really is to me like they've always like saved it for that purpose. Like they don't want to give us too much Ray content and and box themselves in. But at some point it's like bite the bullet. Just kind of let this be okay. Let this let this happen.
1: Well, and here's the thing. Here's the thing i don't know if you started it i'm reading shadows of the sith right now
0: i haven't started it yet no
1: okay yeah, i will say move, nothing With the move
0: and everything going on i i have been excited to read it i just genuinely haven't been able to
1: i am not going to say anything other okay. than this more ray content and if you are somebody who has been upset about not getting any Luke Skywalker stuff of consequence in the post-Return of the Jedi era, particularly uh, Legends fans who are, have been upset that we haven't been getting that kind of stuff, you might want to pick this book up.
0: Oh, I can't wait.
1: Let's for, go. All for, right.
0: Good. Good. Yeah, this yeah. is this is the content we need in our lives.
1: I I have had trouble putting it down. I made the mistake of not taking it with me when we went to San Antonio. So I because normally I don't carry with hardback uh, hardcover books just because they're too big to fit in the backpack yeah. that I bring to travel. And uh, so I ended up going to Barnes and Noble and getting Luke Skywalker and the Shadows of Mindor, which is by Matthew Stover, who wrote Return or uh, Revenge of the Sith. And now I'm reading two books that are freaking great. <laughs> there's worse things in life. <laughs> it's there are worse fates. There's. Have you read Shadows of Mindor?
0: Uh, hold on. I gotta. I'll be honest. If it's legends, I gotta Google it because I know. I keep in mind. I started reading reading all the, like the legend stuff at a very young age, so I know it truly based on cover.
1: It's probably the coolest cover in Star Wars.
0: No, I don't think I have, actually.
1: Okay. I'm only like 50 pages in. I'm definitely going to finish it. But uh, something I thought was really kind of funny but also makes total sense is that they have started making uh, basically movies about uh, Luke Skywalker. And they're like fictionalized (laughs) legends. And so this is ironic with, you know, legends being legends now, because now we have legends inside of legends and there's one. So they're all like Han Solo and the this Luke Skywalker and the this or whatever. Right. Um, The one that is a, is pivotal to the plot is Luke Skywalker and the Jedi's revenge.
0: Okay.
1: Do you get the illusion there?
0: I do get the illusion there.
1: Like it's this pretty is, what great. Year
0: would this, what year was this? Story?
1: Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure he wrote it after Revenge of the Sith because there's okay. a lot of uh, prequel references and connections in there. Okay.
0: But it's it cool. If Revenge of the Sith was actually an illusion to this.
1: Well, and he, the the funny thing is, like in the Revenge of the Jedi uh, holodrama that they've made, um, it's actually like a twist on the story that makes palpatine is still a you know the sympathetic good guy that Luke rescues because he was the friend of his you know father Anakin Skywalker and Vader is the evil one and everything okay, like that so it's interesting and and I especially liked liked it because I've always attached to that line that Ray says in the Force Awakens of Luke Skywalker I thought he was a myth And I'm like, I want to know the stories that have been told. So I kind of it's going to be my personal headcanon. Not that these particular ones were made, but it's going to be my personal headcanon that in universe they made these hollow dramas and wrote books about Han, Luke and Leia. And Han, like he does in Shadows of Mindor, cashed in on that opportunity because he's (laughs) Han freaking solo. So
0: love it. it. Good stuff. Good stuff there.
1: But let's get into what we were talking about today, which yeah, is brother. we got
0: some good stuff to uh, discuss tonight.
1: Oh, well, before we get in there, though, we got to rate it.
0: <laughs> okay. And I'm, I'm for this.
1: pretty sure ours this time, last time, we, we went on different sides of the spectrum, but I think this time we're going to be pretty similar. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I will start this time and let you know that I am rating this a four out of five
0: whoa okay i am reading this a five out of five which wow. i don't know the last time i did that
1: i don't know somebody's gonna have to go back into the archives because the only book i could think of that you would have put a five out of five on would be master and apprentice
0: yeah i'm trying to, i'm trying to think you might actually really be right um
1: because I remember yeah. that one, that one, which it's ironic, right? If it was Master and Apprentice, because that's a Master and Apprentice story. And this is a a little In bit a of a Master way, and Apprentice yeah. story. But so you know what?
0: Let's, let's dive into it, though. Because, yes. Because I think that the, the, the similarities between why I like Master and Apprentice and why I like this are more more so than here's the plot and that's it. Um, but, but let's have – why is it for you – only a four out of five
1: and not a five out of five it's only a four out of five because I've only read it once (laughs) so I always pick up more on the second reading and I have a big problem with not really finding out who's playing both sides like I know it's Palpatine but when you have this big story and you have these stakes of the war and everything like that and you have the good guys win i feel like there needs to be someone who falls and nobody really got defeated here like you have qatar and but he's more to me he's more of a grievous mustache twirling villain where you never think he's going to win it's always obvious he's going to lose but I would have liked either somebody that we Palpatine had used pulling the strings in this bombing to go down and it build the confidence of the Jedi of we're on the downside of this war or something like that, build up the foolishness of the Jedi during the Clone War uh, happening, or time spent with Palpatine about how he's adjusting his plan because of what happens here okay because the the re, the main thing about this being a four out of five goes back to what i've talked about for a long long time which is i like character study books and that's one of my things with the high republic that we've talked about is i don't dislike any of the high republic books but the reason that they're not my favorite is because you don't have enough time with certain characters to really delve into them um, and really get to know them because there's so many of them. And this focuses very intimately on uh, Obi-Wan, Anakin, and then you have Mill and uh, Rube. And I really loved that stuff, that, that rebalancing of where we fit in with each other, and how shifting identities and loyalties shift how we relate to one another and all of that dynamic and everything. But for the plot itself, I felt like there wasn't a satisfying victory at the end. Augie's Municipal Parade kind of thing. Um, and that kind of left me wanting a little bit more at the end. Which is why I would put it at a 4 out of 5.
0: Okay, so for you it's more what it's missing as opposed to what it has.
1: Yeah, and... and Because everything it has, and I know its purpose, and and it was released around the Kenobi series for a reason. It was released in tandem with Queen's Hope for a reason. And that Mm -hmm. was definitely to build up those characters. And I think it did that excellently. I felt like I was watching Clone Wars the whole time. Um, But I do like these stories. If there is some hidden figure playing in the background, I like getting to the end and either seeing that villain escape and alter his plans to get you looking forward to the next adventure because this is serialized storytelling or somebody taking the the fall for it, the brunt for it. But we really know it's Palpatine pulling the strings. And right now it's just like, if you know, Star Wars, you know, it was Palpatine. If you don't know Star Wars, you just know somebody did a thing. And that's not super satisfying to me in that aspect, but everything else is so good that that's a minor annoyance more than it is a problem.
0: All right. That's fair. That is fair. And and it's so funny too, that you say it's, it's so much about character development. Whereas I think what, what really shines in this book though, isn't just character development on that one person at a time level. It's the relationships and how do the relationships impact character development and vice versa.
1: In Master and Apprentice, we didn't get a lot of Obi-Wan's perspective. It was, it was primarily Qui-Gon. I can't think of anything where we're specifically seeing from Obi-Wan's point of view. I need to reread it, but guys, I'm drowning in books right now. Um, but this jumping between characters and having each chapter be a character, I thought was... I think that's one of the harder things to do as an author, Um is to have multiple characters, and you're switching. Mm-hmm. You're not just like switching between what the characters are doing, but you're actually switching your voice to the different character. Like Anakin is written differently than Obi Wan is written, so you're not getting.
0: But this is flawless, and this is mm-hmm. of, you know, oh, absolutely. It's so, it's so funny to me because when you bring up, uh, I believe, correctly probably, the fact that the last book I would have given a 5 out of 5 to was Master and Apprentice, it was probably for the same thing, and what I always give Claudia Gray credit for is she can take on the voice of anyone, and it just seems so natural. Mike Chen took on, what, four different voices uh, in first person, but even when he's writing for Padme, when he's writing for Palpatine, it's so accurate. I I honestly, it, it. Lord me, I have to put this, it is, um, it's almost funny because this is one of my big notes that I have like all highlighted and circled. At one point I must have during this, during reading this, uh, decided that this was probably the best canon book since Dark Disciple. Wow.
1: And it really
0: and truly is up there with Dark Disciple with, with, a uh, New Dawn and it is partially for this reason of you can take different perspectives. You can learn different perspectives. And it's not just it is not just taking the voice and running with it and, and making it seem seamless. It is you are equally invested in every side of the story. Yeah. Well, every and- character, new old, you're invested in. And and it's funny because what, what strikes me is I wrote this note and then apparently... A few pages later, my note is, oh, my God, Ventress now. <laughs> and so I, I was like, oh, man, I was already, I remember this. And I was like, I'm already on the Dark Disciple Path. And now, by the way, here we go. Here's another connection. But it, it was it was just amazing to not just take a voice and say, here's the mannerisms, here's the pace that they would have, but to make you invested in that personal struggle, I think is really, really hard to do with so many different characters.
1: I think the highest compliment you and I could give any Star Wars author uh is to to say their name in the same sentence with Claudia Gray. <laughs>
0: That's very fa- very fair.
1: Like um and and Mike Chen deserves to to be in that arena because he does. It, I I said when when we were talking about uh both Bloodline and Leia Princess of Alderaan that it was the first time that I felt like Leia from the screen was actually coming to the page and it wasn't somebody's interpretation of her. It was literally Carrie Fisher had somehow infused said words with her acting. And I feel like Dave Filoni and Matt Lanter and James Arnold Taylor somehow infused this book with their characters because it's not here. This is the crazy thing is the craft of it. The sentence structures with Obi-Wan, are longer and more drawn out and more thoughtful. There's longer explanations, whereas with Anakin, it's shorter sentences. Things happen quicker. You know? It's it's just, it's crazy. And the thing to me that really blew my mind was Ch- Mike Chen was able to allude to things that we knew were coming without... Winking and nodding at the screen. He didn't break the fourth wall. Point in case, Mm Mill. Amazing character. Mm -hmm. Ahsoka stand in. Mm -hmm. Doesn't feel like an Ahsoka stand in at all. Like it's very clear. That they no, are
0: because Mill is even though it's the Ahsoka stand you're so right, and it's it's gearing us up, and it's it's also giving Anakin the the character development like we keep talking about of easing into taking a Padawan, right, and and making this for like look, it's it's an idea that's being tinkered with and toyed with, and and you know in the back of people's minds, maybe his mind, maybe not, but but. Yeah, you have the, this character, but at the same time, what Mike Chen just absolutely nails, which I think so few authors would do, is not simply a Mill is the stand in for Ahsoka. It is, here's what else we're learning from this Mill character. We are developing Anakin, we're also developing the Force. Like the, the, the whole concept of being physically sick from the Force and how when you try and cut yourself off, here's how it, it affects other people. That's unique. That's something really worth diving into. Well,
1: and I, to me, I was reading this, you know, at at the same time that Kenobi is coming out, and I thought a lot about Leia and how Hmm. there were people complaining about Leia seems too old. She's too wizened and matured, and this is not. She's not a ten-year-old. Which I mean, I feel like the story does a, a good job of of explaining, but if you felt that way you can read this character mill and realize the force imbues a lot of wisdom onto somebody because you're dealing with a lot as a young child like she has a lot of weight on her shoulders as a not even a padawan she's still a a, a, initiate a youngling at the temple and she makes the important life choice at the time of I'm leaving the Jedi. I don't want to be a part of this. Which was so powerful to think about this eight or nine year old making this decision. But I think it. The more we get of that in the galaxy with these Force users, with Anakin, with uh, Leia, with Ahsoka, with Mill, the more it validates that this is one thing that the Force does. Is it gives a sense of weight and wisdom to me. It's like. When you put a a kid, this is a really rough analogy, and I apologize if it upsets anybody, but when you put a, a child in a traumatic situation where they have to take on more responsibility at the home, let's say a parent dies, and all of a sudden this nine-year-old now has to help raise uh, her brothers and sisters because mom now has to work two jobs to make ends meet, that kid is far more mature than one of his peers who, or her peers who comes from a two-parent household, all of that kind of stuff. Like, that's just reality, and I think the Force is like that. It makes someone take on that extra responsibility because of the way that it connects you with other people. We see it with Ezra, and, and he takes on this extra weight of you know, protecting the Pergil and all of this stuff, protecting the wildlife of Lothal, because he feels from the Force, by the Force, giving him this ability to connect with them, he has a responsibility to them, and I think Mill feels the the same way. Mill reminds me a lot of Emery because Emery has this this power that's growing within him of learning how to handle the emotions. of of others that are being put on him through the force. And Mill is a lot the same way. So I just love when canon builds upon itself in that way, where it's not like, hey, we're giving you this same force ability. Isn't this cool? You saw this in the High Republic. But it's more, hey, this isn't just one person out of millions, out of 10,000 Jedi out of billions in the galaxy who is feeling this way this is a a type of individual that exists that is going through a particular struggle and the more you hear that struggle the more you understand that struggle just like in real life the more you understand some you know what a group of people is going through the more you empathize with them and so i think yeah. mill allows greater depth to to that kind of um force user adds greater depth to um ahsoka's story adds greater depth to anakin's story uh and you did that with a brand new character that was not even had i think i think she had like three or four chapters maybe that were hers out of all of them and that's 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 not easy to do and i think that's a testament to what mike chen has done here
0: yeah. I mean, I've, I've nothing else really to, I can't argue. I just think it's, it's amazing, but even from the, the get go, right?
1: Yeah. And I think there's, there's two things that hit me there with what you said. One is the the bait and switch idea of where you have this buildup of getting one thing and then you get another, because for me, that was the Anakin becoming a Jedi Knight moment where you get the nighting ceremony and everything. And, you have this big ceremony this important pivotal point in these individuals lives that is cast over by a shadow of war and we saw in the Tartakovsky clone wars we get to see Anakin become a knight but in canon we've never we never got to see it he just is a jedi knight when we pick up with him in clone wars and To me, I've always I always wondered, like, what was that like? How did it affect them and everything? And so to see Anakin and Obi-Wan have that moment, but then also immediately be broken apart was to me was a bit of a bait and switch because you expect, oh, you know, we see them working together all the time in the Clone Wars. So they probably just stayed that way for a while. But no, they had to really work to maintain that relationship, to retain that brotherhood. And then you also have, as you mentioned, the relationships between Obi Wan and Anakin, and uh, Palpatine and Anakin, Padme and Anakin, and how Anakin's whole world is those three people, uh, mm-hmm. a- and the dynamic between them is going to influence, you know, how he behaves and what he fights for, and so as those three start to change across the. The prequel trilogy timeline and palpatine you know starts to become more palpatine-y and padme starts to think maybe they're on the wrong side and obi-wan wants to make sure that anakin you know you have he wants to make sure anakin is is being careful Padme wants him to you know be less a Jedi and Obi-Wan wants him to be a safer Jedi Palpatine wants him to be more a Je- like it's, he's getting pulled in these different directions because his entire identity is based off of his relationship with these three people that's not necessarily well it is bad to only have your identity based on your relationships with other people that's not a healthy way to live but I liked getting to see that it stated so clearly that this is what Anakin is about. Because I do think there is a way to live like that and and still be a Jedi, still be selfless, still care for others. Like, I would argue, like, you and I were talking about this before the show. For, for me, when something happens to me, I, I don't care about the opinions of others. I, I really just, I just don't. I've been through enough in life. I'm over that. I am going to do what I think is right, regardless of what anybody else says, regardless of yeah. the consequences to me. It doesn't matter to me. When you come for somebody that I love, I will go for the throat. I will not stop until that, is, that issue is remedied. And I relate to Anakin in that way, where you can put Anakin in all these dangerous kinds of situations, Right? You can put his life at risk. You can challenge him. But as soon as you send Obi-Wan into this unknown situation, that's probably a trap. He's not gonna stand for that. He's going to find a way to help Obi-Wan, and he does. You know? Uh-oh. You know, Ahsoka comes back. He's not holding any resentment towards her. He's trying to help her find her place in the galaxy. And it ends up being unhealthy because he becomes possessive over those individuals. But I think yes. here we yeah. actually see him at a healthy stage. Like if he exactly. had continued here, we ha- we don't have the, the Galactic Civil War, we don't have the original trilogy happen because Anakin, Padme, Luke, and Leia all live at home happy and Palpatine is dead. Um, because Anakin finds out the truth. But like, it was really cool to see inside his head and it be so clearly stated that that is what he is about. Cause that was really relatable for me.
0: I think it's also though a matter of like, it's, it's more understandable to us now as the audience as to how this could have happened, because there's the, the, um, not the analogy, uh, but the, the metaphor of being a frog and in boiling water, right? Where you have the the frog who sits there and he might jump into boiling water and realize it's too hot and he gets out right away. But if you put the frog in cool water and then you start to boil it, he's not gonna notice those incremental changes. And I think that's something where we as an audience are used to the Anakin Skywalker. Where it's like, we see him as the nine-year-old. We see him as the, the teenager. And then we see him as Darth Vader. And we see these major jumps. But now we're able to see why the Jedi Order, why Obi-Wan, why Padme, they weren't able to necessarily see all of this. And it's because they were the frogs in, in boiling water.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And the ending part was really impactful for me. Like as much as the the aspect of the plot line I didn't love not getting that kind of tied up into a nice, neat bow. The ending itself was extremely satisfying, as is, um, because you get inside Obi-Wan's head after everything they've gone through, after Anakin has has shown his his care for him by creating a plan to help protect him after that's fallen apart, and uh, Anakin still came for him, they've escaped, all of this stuff, right? Everything that they've gone through here, which, again, the plot is, is another episode of Clone Wars. Like, you know the heroes are going to get out fine, and the war is going to continue because we know what comes after this. It's not about that. But after all of that, after all of these things that they go through, you get this moment of Obi-Wan uh, reflecting. And part of the reason he doesn't speak up about his fears about Anakin is, is because he trusted the good within him so completely. Like, that was really powerful to me. Of He knows something's going on, but he so trusts Anakin to make the right choice mm-hmm. and that the good will win out that he doesn't say anything mm-hmm. because he thinks, as a teacher, it's, it's best for him to... Um, to, to let him grow on his own. And I think when we consider that in conjunction with what we saw in the Kenobi series, Obi-Wan didn't just lose the relationship with Anakin. He lost his faith in Anakin. Mm. And if you think about, everybody's had some kind of relationship like that, where you, you, we've had relationships where we had a friend, they were a good friend, time- separates us, we go in different ways in lives, we choose different paths, or we disagree with something that they're doing. And we decide, you know what, I'm going to move on with my life. And it hurts. And it's not fun. But it is. And then you've had relationships where that person changed so completely, that you lost faith in the good. You lost faith in humanity. You lost faith in what you believed was inside that person and faith in your ability to discern that. And that is what Obi-Wan, when you look at the arc of his story with Anakin through the end of Kenobi... That's what Obi-Wan goes through, is he loses his faith in him. And so I think it was really interesting to, when we consider, if we consider, just for the the sake of what we're talking about, brotherhood as the end and Kenobi episode six, part six as the end, you see that complete arc of it starts with him believing in his friend and his brother so completely that there is nothing he doesn't think he can do. He trusts him completely. So much so that he chides himself for not naturally transitioning to being peers and being equals. He doesn't put that on Anakin for not stepping up and being like a Jedi Knight and establishing himself. Because we do see Anakin like struggle with, what do we do next, Master? And Obi-Wan has to be like, we're equals now. You make the choice. From that to goodbye, Darth. Then my friend is truly dead god i mean that it hits it hits on another level for the tragedy that is kenobi and adds to how important it is that he has faith in luke and leia to be able to do that because he has lost faith in his friends so completely but he hasn't lost hope and that's just really cool to me
0: Yeah, and and that's just this is the beauty of this book though is everything you just said is so true and it is so powerful, and it is just about twenty five percent of the book, (laughs) right? It's yeah, like Like, that's it's it's just absolutely amazing to me what Mike Chen is able to accomplish and the fact that you can just go on this. I don't want to ever call it a rant, what you just said, because it's, it's so true and it's so eloquent. Um, but, the, but the soliloquy, I think, that you just went on is, is just so beautiful and it's so moving. And it's still only a small fraction of the book. This isn't even taking you know Padme into account. This isn't taking Anakin. This isn't taking the Jedi Order into account. There are so many things that are just so perfectly perfectly executed in this book.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you think, when I think about the book and what is on the page itself, I know I said my, I have problems with the, there not being a big payoff at the end in terms of finding out who was behind the scenes. And again, I know who was behind the scenes. I know it was Palpatine. I just wanted <laughs> we to early. see it. Yeah. Uh, like, that is an opportunity cost for the book. I think it yeah. could have added something to the book. What is put on the page? If we look at it without anything other than that, it's near perfect. It's about as good of a book as you could possibly have. Uh, and we talk about the end because the end is obviously where everything is building and everything is weighted there because that's where the themes and the lessons are. But the the end doesn't hit if you don't take the time to build all of that up in the rest of the book. That's why like, I always go back to Test of Courage and loving the work that Justina Ireland does because the end of Test of Courage, to me, says so much about the Force and the Jedi's relationship with it. But it hits because you care about the relationship between Verne Jarreau and Imory. You care about that relationship, so you care about them going through this together. And I would argue that if you—I mean, you can't really read a Star Wars book without knowing anything else about Star Wars. So for this this argument, I will say for, if you knew nothing other than the prequel trilogy movies, you would still rate this book 4 out of 5 or 5 out of 5. Like I think it's hard to argue— that you wouldn't because it's, it has these elements of clone wars. It, it it essentially is an episode of clone wars or an arc of clone wars, but it stands on its own at the same time. And this is the thing that great Canon books do bloodline stands on its own, but it's added a lot. There's a lot of depth to it. If you know about the sequel trilogy and you know about the building of the first order, uh, dark disciple stands on its own, but it, means a lot more if you know the history of these characters and if you experience these traumas with them and everything like that. Like, that's what makes a really good canon book. Um,
0: yeah. It's it's like you can read it not knowing Star Wars and you still enjoy it. You're confused, but it's still impactful in some way.
1: Exactly. And this does. So, speaking of the end, I wanted to talk about something I – if I was going to say something in the book that that I wanted more of, it would have been Anakin and Obi-Wan thinking about Qui-Gon. I absolutely loved that I part. I mean,
0: yeah, but I think you could say that uh, any book ever whether where where it's a uh, Qui-Gon is at all possible or not. <laughs> like that's always just a great that I feel like it's kind of a gimme, you know.
1: Well, yes. Um and I mean, there is, uh, this is, this is again, something that I love about, about when they really know what they're doing with the content and they're not just putting out content. It was no coincidence that Brotherhood and Queen's Hope and Obi-Wan Kenobi came out at the same time. They were designed that way. They support each other. And in Queen's Hope, we get the, the moment of, uh, Anakin visiting Qui-Gon's, uh, not his grave, but his uh, memorial on Naboo. And you get that moment of him, you know, being like, I hope I'm living up to your expectations and everything like that. And then you get a moment of Obi-Wan reflecting on that here and the things that Qui-Gon taught without even saying it. Um, The things that he left both of them, the legacy that they carry on
0: one of the things that I, I even love, too, is the scene where uh, Kenobi is talking to what he thinks is, um, I think, like Newt Gunray about the the investigation, right? And, and how you should send in the Jedi, and then Doogu comes, and, and they're all apprehensive, and he even uses Qui-Gon to his advantage. And, and even that moment, I think, spoke volumes about, again, these, these relationships and how they all come into play.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, Qui-Gon's legacy lives on. And I think it lives on in both Obi-Wan and Anakin. And the breaking of those two is the breaking of Qui-Gon. So I think... Qui-Gon is, if you put Obi-Wan and Anakin together, you get Qui-Gon Jinn. And that is why he was the one to bring them together. You have the intellectual, believes in the Order, is going to trust in the Force, is going to play the long game in Obi-Wan Kenobi. But you also have the defiance. You have the brashness. You have the stubborn belief in clear right and clear wrong and doing the right thing with disregard for the consequences in Anakin. And when those two are together, when they are in brotherhood, great things happen. When they break apart, it all falls apart. And to me, that's something that really stood out to me. And I love the, the way that it's built up in this book where yeah, we get a you know, a reference here there to Qui-Gon, but it's really at the end when they have they've been separated and they've come back together that both of them reflect on Qui-Gon and what they've taught, what he's taught them and and everything like that. Because I think it it, it just makes their separation even more powerful, and it makes the end of the Kenobi series even more powerful. Because you know, Not only do we see in the series that uh, Obi-Wan has been calling out to Qui-Gon, we know that Obi-Wan has continually thought about Qui-Gon and what Qui-Gon would do and how he relates to that and his relationship with his mentor who, at the time, he thought was lost, right? And I don't know, I I can't say we don't have any canon or anything like that, right? But if I'm Obi-Wan and... Qui-Gon has been gone for years and then comes back and I'm able to have a relationship with him. There's going to be a part of me that is going to believe that anyone can come back and I can have a relationship with them, a la Anakin can come back and I can have a relationship with him, which he's able to do when they are both one with the Force.
0: I'll even take it a step further. Um, and it shows really the, the goodness and the strength of the, the light side of the force. Because keep in mind, like we, we see it more so in um, Vader Immortal. Um, but, but what really is driving Vader over and over and over is his need to reconnect with Padme in a physical, you know, you are here in front of me, not just a spiritual kind of way. And to bring her back from the dead. And the fact that it is low-key as important to, to Obi-Wan. He's just not taking the means he is. But it's equally as important to him. And he's able to, as we now know from Kenobi, he's able to accomplish it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he... And this is something that, I mean... We could go off on the Kenobi series, and and Drew and I <laughs> did on the most recent Clashing Sabers, but the more that we're getting of Obi Wan in the recent canon, the more I am understanding and getting on board with the he's the greatest Jedi of all time, you know, kind of mm-hmm. uh, parade. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll ever go that far, but
0: what I what I really did though love about too this whole Qui Gon part of this story is when, um, I think it's at one point Anakin is is talking to Mill and talking about, you know, you might not know the name, maybe one day you will, Qui-Gon, you know. But the fact that, like, every it's almost like the the inside joke where it's, like, out in the public and everyone's going to kind of make fun of Anakin for being dubbed the Chosen One. And some people believe it, some people don't. But I feel like this was also, like, a nice little segue. And there was also one scene I wish I had written down the page number or something. But it was just so impactful for me to put myself in the, the mind of little tiny child Anakin leaving his home planet, and the only person who he really knew and dying. And he's taken from all of this, and he's taken from all of those comforts. I thought I thought it was really interesting and gave a lot of insights that we don't normally have the time to get with him.
1: Yeah, like the weight of what it means to be the chosen one. Uh, that's something... That's something I we don't get a lot of because I think George kind of started to shy away from it um, in the the Attack of the Clones and and Revenge of the Sith. Uh, so it's kind of one of those things where we don't want to spark the debate of who the real Chosen One is, so we're just not going to bring it up except for you know rare instances. Uh, and so seeing it here was something that was really cool, and and to actually get to see Anakin talk about it. Uh, and know that it's something that's on his mind and that he, again, he thinks about Qui-Gon a lot. He thinks about the loss that he's had a lot because the more we talk ab- or the more he talks about, the more he sees and thinks about, uh, or the more we see him thinking about the loss that he's gone through, the bigger it builds up to Revenge of the Sith with him. He loses Shmi. He loses Qui-Gon. He loses Ahsoka he is going to lose padme you the more you get of that again that repetition equals importance idea is going to make his fall even more tragic but yeah. in terms of like things uh, illusions connections one that really i loved was and this isn't stated directly but as obi-wan's going through this mission and he is he's been arrested he is in trouble. He essentially needs to throw Ruge under the bus in order to save his own skin. And he refuses to do so. I kept going back to the Qui-Gon quote in master and apprentice, where he says, if the code tells us one thing and the need of the people in front of us tells us another, is there any Hmm. question of which we should follow? Hmm. And that, it, 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 in that instance it's a separation of those two things the code is not serving what is right so i'm going to do what's right and the code will have to catch up with that here is a perfect example of obi-wan being able to connect the code with the need in front of him and in order to do so he's going to have to take a great risk he's going to to have to essentially sacrifice himself, whether that means, you know, he's going to get, you know, imprisoned on, on kid on or whatever's going to happen to him. He knows that's going to happen, but he knows two things. One, the war is not going to get better if he reveals his source. It's going to, to perpetuate it to go longer. But more importantly, Ruge's life would be ruined and he's not willing to sacrifice somebody who has been good to him because it is the most convenient thing to do. And I don't know if the same could be said for all of the Jedi at that time. I know Anakin would do it. I know Ahsoka would do it. I don't know if Mace Windu would do it. I don't know if Ki-Adi-Mundu would do it. I don't know like I don't know no if Shaq T would do it there
0: is it. no shot,
1: right like it's again just the more content we get of this and I know they're doing it because it's financially viable of bringing all this prequel content in uh, because you know you and I are uh, the ones with disposable incomes right now until you know inflation uh, <laughs> takes us all um, but <laughs> we we need this stuff like this is the stuff that marinades the movies the reason we love han luke and leia and especially fans of legends in my opinion love han luke and leia is not as much uh, of the fact that we got all these stories it's that all of these stories created time we got to spend with and think about and consider the characters.
0: This is one of those books where you use the word marinade and marinate on, and it's so entirely accurate because this kind of story is what we're going to go back to the way we already have. This came out before Kenobi and already we're watching Kenobi thinking, Oh, you know, this, this short, it's, it's probably good still. If, If you haven't read this book, but to be able to read this book and be like, oh man, this adds volumes to this. You know, this makes this connection and this scene so much deeper and so much more emotional. This is why it is five out of five for me, because it's finally giving us those kind of connections where I think for, for a while now, we're going to start to see more of this Star Wars content come out and we're going to be referencing this book and what it has done.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the one that stood out to me was, uh, you know, in the book, we get to see very clearly that Anakin cares for Obi-Wan as much or possibly even more than Obi-Wan cares for Anakin. And we think of it a lot from Obi-Wan's perspective because of the loss that he goes through, right? And the the tragedy of losing his best friend and and, the you know, years in the desert and everything like that, like it's not easy what he goes through, but we don't really consider it from Anakin's point of view, right? Like Anakin really deeply cared about Obi-Wan and that, to, that, that makes it all the more tragic one that he's hunting him, right? Like he's determined to kill him and, end that attachment that he has to him. But it, it also just really makes me think about that line where he said, uh, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker, I did. Because that, oh, so there's, there's a dichotomy here. There's there's a almost a hypocrisy. And I think it's on purpose in the Kenobi series where in the beginning, in episode uh, three, I think it is, when we first get Vader, he says, I am what you made me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But in the end, when it's Anakin, when Anakin is exposed, he said... You didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. So it's almost like as Vader, he feels this need to go after Kenobi, to kill Kenobi, because Kenobi is a connection to the past, and we know he wants to kill all those connections. But when we really get to the heart of Anakin, he wants to absolve Obi-Wan of that. He knows Anakin is dead. He's convinced Anakin's dead, He and he believes Anakin being dead is the right thing. But Anakin doesn't want obi-wan to feel like it's his fault that to me just like you can get that from just that line but when you have the clone wars and when you have a book like this that spends so much time showing how much these two care about each other like at the risk of their own lives at the risk of of democracy they stand together it makes them falling apart all the more all the more tragic.
0: Yeah. How do you not love this book?
1: If you don't if you don't, I don't think we can be friends. I'm sorry. Are
0: you are you still four out of five then? Are you five out of
1: five then? Oh man I I really I usually really worry about giving a five out of five
0: but But again this is this is something where i really do think we are both going to come back to time and time again and be able to talk about how much deeper certain other stories are because of this
1: i agree and and there as i examine the canon as we get more time with these stories and i love people you know in uh, facebook groups asking like which uh, which canon book could i start with because i always like to see like what i type with um because i don't always think about it but for years it's been leia princess of alderaan and master and apprentice and phasma and and these stories that you and i talk about all the time about how much we love rebel rising Uh, lost stars bloodline and there is a there is an attachment that i have to those books there is a connection that i have with them that i consider them integral to my understanding of star wars and my relationship with star wars Mm -hmm. and i don't suggest those books lightly and i don't bring up books like master and apprentice and and leia and all of these things So much just because they're my favorites. I bring them up because I think that they are important to developing and building those characters. And they are in a different tier from some of the other books that are not bad. They're not, it's not a knock on them. Alphabet Squadron's great. Resistance Reborn is great. Black Spire is amazing. Like, but they're not in the same level as those books because those books are ones that I'm constantly thinking about every time I have those characters or anything connected to those characters. And it took time for me to get them to that level, to think of them in that that echelon, It didn't take time for brotherhood to get up there. Brotherhood was just there. So with that said, because I am, I'm still apprehensive to call any book a five out of five, because there could always be something better. I'm going to give it a 5 out of 5.
0: Yes! There we go. Let's go. You won't regret it.
1: I really don't think I, th- I will. I
0: think you're... Because I do the same thing. When people ask where they, they should start, you are you make such a good point. Like, this is where you start, right? This is what's going to, one, evolve your lo- love of Star Wars, and two, I shouldn't say evolve, elevate your love of Star Wars, but two, it's going to get you so interested in other canon books for the first time.
1: Yeah. And... I know we've had short story entries from Mike Chen. I believe in in a certain point of view. Uh, I don't know if he's he's been in both. I know he was in one of them. Um, we need more Mike Chen books. Like
0: we need more Mike Chen books.
1: Let's let's just take for for granted that Claudia Gray is going to be exclusively High Republic from now on. Yeah, We don't know that for sure, but just so for yeah. for the time being, as long as High Republic is going on, Claudia Gray is going to be doing High Republic. Mike Chen needs to be the non-High Republic Claudia Gray, where mm-hmm. you need a character story to help you with this. Mike's got it, because I think he does. I want to see him write something around the time that Andor comes out. I want to see him write this This is going to show you how much I love what he did and how much I love him as an author and his craftsmanship and his skill as an author. I want him to write something connected to Ahsoka.
0: Wow. Oh, yeah. All right.
1: Off of one entry. I wouldn't have. And this is not a knock on on Claudia Gray. I would not have said the same thing about Claudia Gray after just Lost Stars. I would have said the same thing about Claudia Gray after Lost Stars and Leia Princess of Alderaan and Bloodline. After you know, a proven track record, and it it it's not a knock on Claudia Gray at all. Y'all know I love Claudia Gray. Claudia knows I love Claudia Gray. She's the best. She's amazing. She's great for Star Wars, but I think she established the bar, and we know where that bar is at. And not a lot of people have reached that bar with m- one chance, let alone multiple chances. And Mike Chen did it on his first try.
0: Immediately, immediately. It,
1: it can't be. It can't be overstated how how insanely good that is.
0: And and I would to say this too because I think so often we let our preconceived notions kind of dictate what we think. I based on the the characters and based on the storyline here and the the time period, I think I was expecting a lot, which normally leads to, because I'm expecting a lot. I am also going to be used to disappointment, right? I'm going to, I'm going to be okay with not getting everything I want and, and just accept that these things happen. He exceeded my absolute, and they were very, very high, my absolute highest expectations.
1: I think the moment that I was really, really hooked, and it's as much for the moment as it is for the craftsmanship of writing, was the Asajj Ventress reveal. Because we get that, you're kind of like, that could be Asajj. mm -hmm. Oh, see, I
0: was stunned by it.
1: Well, you get the, she has the hood over her head, and she's bald, and all these things that you're like okay it could be Asage. it could also just be because that is a, a look that is very easy to visualize in your head as threatening and scary because it's you know hidden in the shadows kind of look but then when it's revealed it's Sage, it didn't feel like pandering it didn't feel like oh I'm using Asage here look how cool I am it felt like Yeah, obviously you would use Asajj there. You know from the writing that this needs to be somebody important, but he could have made it somebody important and new. But instead, he took the risk of bringing in a beloved character as the foil. And again, you have to think about the, the risk of doing that because you can't kill her in the end. You can't even give her a, a, a major defeat in the end because this is so early in the war. It's before you know we even pick up with the Clone Wars, so she she still has so much to go through, and you need to make her the character she is in a in a singular time. But you also need to make her figure out a way to defeat her in this one story without degrading the rest of the story that she has, and I think. Chen did that through the same way that, you know, Filoni talks about dealing with Darth Vader, which is using very sparingly and very intentionally. And it would have been really easy to have this book from the perspectives of Obi-Wan, Anakin and Asajj. But we didn't. And that was intentional. And it was executed perfectly where you still feel like Asajj is a threat You still feel like your heroes are in danger and you still build that character. But that reveal moment to have it not be a letdown was extremely impactful in me going, yeah, I'm on board. That was the moment where I went from just, this is a really good book to, okay, I'm all in. We're Clone Wars right now. I am all in. Let's go. Lindsay, I'm assuming you're still a 5 out of 5? Oh, heavens, yes. Okay. I, I couldn't see any of my arguments that would have uh, degraded your score <laughs> there. So I feel like that's pretty... Could you
0: imagine if after this, I was like, eh, 3 out of 5, I guess. Yeah,
1: you're like, mm, no, I actually disagree with you on everything. This book wasn't that great. No, this book is really, really good. Uh, definitely go pick it up. I mean... You've picked it up if you've gotten this far because we don't do plot stuff, but uh, definitely uh, shout out to Mike Chen. Tell him how much you love this book on Twitter, Instagram, all of that stuff. And uh, let us know your thoughts on that there as well, at Clashing Sabers on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and on TikTok. Uh, And then we have our Facebook group where we continue conversations like these and share all the content that we are creating and all the content you are creating that is Star Wars Clashing Sabers and all of those links will uh, be in the show notes and also uh, if you care about books and you care about kids uh, then let's get some Star Wars books into kids hands and you can help us do that by going over to our Patreon and donating as little as a dollar a month uh, to support Teachers, and if you have a teacher, go over to our website and let us know because while I did send, or we did send, rather, uh, over 700 books to Uvalde, I still have a lot of books that I was able to get my hands on and uh, am looking for teachers to donate to for the beginning of this next school year. So if you know anybody or you are a teacher, uh, let us know over there on their nominated teacher page. Lindsay. What do you have going on, and where can people find you?
0: Honestly, best place to find me is going to be over in that Facebook group. If you want to tell me why you also love Brotherhood and Mike Chen, or if why I'm absolutely wrong and this is a one out of five, we can always debate it. Head over to the uh, Clashing Sabers Facebook group. Uh, now especially though because there has been quite a bit of activity over there lately be sure you tag me to make sure that I do uh, get a chance to pop in and see it and I'd love 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 to discuss uh, anything from from this episode tonight anything from other past episodes or anything from um, one of our other shows here on the network Sith Talk which I also co-host
1: yes and if you're subscribed, you get all of our shows. And as I teased on the Classic Saber show, uh, both Adriana and Mark are working on some evolutions of their shows that are going to be really, really exciting. So if you are subscribed, you don't have to worry about hunting them down or keeping up with Twitter for when the new drops are because they will go right to your feed all in one. So we will see you later. And remember to keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, Don't burn the sacred text.